if you forgot already, my name is Cassidy and I'm super excited to be here with you all tonight. Some of us are like basically strangers and I really like to make friends. So before we get into Psalm 42, I thought I'd introduce myself a little bit. Um, I asked some friends to help me with some of this and some of it's just out of my own brain. So here's some things that you need to know about me. Number one, I am an extreme extrovert whose roommate has been out of town for the last week and I am like in dire need of socialization. So just being in the room with this many people is like totally filling up my cup today. I also come from a big blended family. So maybe that's why I just am used to being around people. I have five siblings and I have perfected the art of both getting into conversations and getting out of conversations and I will help you learn if you're interested. Next, I have a deep, massive sweet tooth. I love Skittles. That's my favorite way to eat sugar. Um, but anything sugar, I'll accept from you. And then also, you need to know that I love being outside, even when it's like 95. Like, the sun is shining outside right now. But it's okay, because I'm really excited to be here with you. I'm not going to bail on you. And then here's the part that my friends helped with. This one is a direct quote. I have a passionate hatred for seaweed. It's the worst thing I've ever eaten in my life. Um, my favorite animal is a hippo. As a kid, I had a lot of stuffed hippos. Um, I'm a detailed planner. In another life, I maybe could have been like a wedding planner. I think that would have been fun. And then my roommate said that I say true fact a lot, it's, and it is a true fact. Um, but more than all of that, I'm learning what it means to love the Lord and serve Him every day. I grew up here at PV and have the privilege now of getting to serve on the children's ministry staff. And this children's ministry was instrumental in me coming to know the Lord. And so that's been a really sweet blessing for me to get to be a part of that. So that's a little bit about me. You didn't get to tell me anything about you right now, but come be my friend later and tell me a little about you if we've never met before. If you brought your Bible with you and you want to go ahead and find Psalm 42, it should be somewhere right in the middle. If you like find the middle, you'll be close. That's where we're going to hang out tonight, so you can start hunting that down now. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Inside Out before. It's a Disney movie. It's about five or six years old, but it follows the story of some emotions in the head of a girl named Riley. Riley is 11 years old, and her family moves from Minnesota to San Francisco. And she has five core emotions that run everything in her life. It's joy, fear, sadness, anger, and disgust. And they each have different characters. And as you can imagine, in the life of an 11-year-old, everything up to this point in Riley's life has been pretty joyful. She has these core memories, and they all glow yellow because they've all been joyful. But when she gets to San Francisco, she thinks back on a memory of playing hockey with her friends in Minnesota, and the character Sadness goes up and touches the memory, and it turns blue because now it's a sad memory. And so then the rest of the movie follows these two main emotions of joy and sadness as they go off into the depths of Riley's brain to try to make all things right again and then get back to headquarters, as they call it. What's super cool about the movie is that Disney actually talked with some scientists, some psychologists, and learned how our emotions and our memories interact in our brain. And so there's a lot of true science in the movie. Things like while Riley's asleep, her memories are locked in, and there's these little guys that go around where all her memories are and like send off the things she never thinks about anymore, like that list of presidents in order that she learned, and they just send it off to the dump. 
And in the course of this movie, this emotion of sadness that, if we're honest, a lot of us would probably be like, sadness is the first one that can go away. Sadness actually comes to the front of Riley's story, and we're reminded that how it's so important to feel our sadness. And sadness is the hero of Riley's story. In our passage today, we're going to find someone who is really caught up in his own sadness. King David wrote a lot of the Psalms in our Bible, and in Psalm 42, he has been driven out of Jerusalem. And it's actually, there's a few theories, a few main theories of what drove David out of Jerusalem, and several of them could be backed up with biblical history. But the main theory is this. So David has several children. One of his sons named Absalom... Um, kills his brother named Amnon and then decides that he wants to be king of Israel. And so he gathers up some buddies and then he goes into Jerusalem and then gathers up some more buddies and drives his dad out of Jerusalem. And there's a lot of drama in David's family. You can read about it in 2 Samuel and it will top the drama of your favorite soap opera. But it is unfortunate that David has been driven out of Jerusalem. And so he is going to, when we read this psalm, you're going to see that he is just caught up. His sadness has overcome him. So hopefully you found Psalm 42 by now. I'm going to read the whole passage to us, and then we will dive in. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, Where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones, while all day long they say to me, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. We pray with me. God, thank you so much for your word that was written thousands of years ago so that we could read it today and hear from you and be encouraged by you in the midst of the feelings of our own life. I pray that as we dive into this passage together tonight, that you would reveal to us how your Holy Spirit has prepared our hearts and minds to hear from you, that we would see more of who you are in the ways that you love us. Um, and that we would just be drawn to love you more as we leave this place tonight. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Okay, I'm going to give you a fair warning before we like really super dive into this. I don't know if many or of you have ever seen a counselor, and you didn't ask for my opinion, but I think that seeing a counselor is a great thing to do. Several of the things that we're going to talk about are things that my Christian counselor and I have talked about. Now, they're biblical. I'm going to give you verses to back them up, but I'm just, I just want to warn you that I think that God has used my counselor in mighty ways in my life to reveal things about himself to me, and we all face curveballs in life, David included, as he writes this 
um, psalm. And so his feelings, David's feelings, a lot like our friend Riley in the movie Inside Out, a lot like our feelings in our own life, can sometimes just feel really overwhelming. And so as we start, I want to make this just really personal. So our first question that we're going to talk about at our tables is going to help us do that. Here's my question that I want you to talk about for just a couple of minutes. What situations in your life, it can be something specific to you or just in general, what situations make us feel dejected, in turmoil, or full of tears day and night? Those are some phrases that David used. So talk about that at your table and then we'll come back together. There's a lot of examples, right, of things that would cause us to feel the same way that David did here, where he feels forgotten and overcome with sorrow. And David even says that he feels deeply depressed. Um, and we could probably sit here all night and share examples of situations. But I, I'm going to ask you to just kind of sink into this feeling a little bit. And I realize that's a big ask. But think about in your own life what your version of being in David's shoes might be a situation where you're longing for God to show up, where you're waiting on him to come through and to fulfill a promise that you feel like he's made for you or to you. It could be um, something that you thought he was going to give you. Maybe it's like physical or emotional pain that you're feeling that you're just not sure where God's at in the middle of that. Maybe for some of you, that's a current situation. And I'm going to guess that there's probably some really strong emotions tied to that waiting. Or maybe you're thinking of something in the past, um, but you can remember the feelings that came along with that. But either way, whether you're thinking right now in your heads of something current or in the past, I'm going to ask you to do something really brave with me. And it's something that I'm not asking you to do that I haven't done because God has certainly taken me on a journey over the last couple weeks um, as I've been preparing this message. But to the extent that you're willing to do this, between, it's between you and God. Nobody else, I'm not going to ask you to share what's on your heart and on your mind with anyone at your table. I'm not going to ask you to tell me whether you were feeling brave today or not. It's just on you. But if you're willing, would you just let those emotions just kind of come to the surface? And I've been praying for you all week that God would begin to heal and prepare your heart to be healed through what David has written for us in Psalm 42. If you're not ready yet, that's okay too. Maybe you could just jot down a note or two to come back to when you do feel ready down the road. Um, but if you're willing, if you'll just bring a situation to mind where you feel like you're waiting on God and let the emotions just sit right at the surface and then we're going to let them sit there and we're going to process through those together in light of Psalm 42. So here we go. In this passage, David kind of sets up a pattern for us of what it looks like to engage with these feelings that come in the midst of our longing and in our waiting. You could really divide the psalm up into two sections, verses 1 through 5 and 6 through 11, and both of them actually end with the exact same verse. If you'll look again at verses 5 and 11, they both say, Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. And so right off the bat, we see like David already has to repeat this process of dealing with his feelings twice, just in 11 verses. And we could see why, because he's feeling this deep pain. He's in this place of longing to be in God's presence, to sense God's nearness and return to this place of peace 
and joy. Remember I told you that David has been driven out of Jerusalem um, from some pretty unfortunate circumstances, but in David's day, not being able to go to the physical temple was a big deal because in the temple was this fancy thing called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant, you can think of it kind of like a fancy chest with some important religious items in it. Moses's staff, some manna, things like that are in the Ark. And for the people of Israel, where the Ark went, so did God's presence. It was a symbol of God's presence. When David left Jerusalem, the ark was also left behind. So not only has his own son driven him out of Jerusalem, but he also has this very real feeling of being away from the presence of God. And he remembers how sweet it was to be in the place where God's people worshiped, but he's not there and he's longing to return to that. He maybe even like felt humiliated by his own son in the midst of that. But I want to just share this phrase that's going to guide us tonight that came up for me um, a couple weeks ago in a conversation actually with my counselor and just, just kept echoing as I prepared. It's this, feel it all the way through to the lovely. If lovely is too girly of a word for you, you can substitute it for good or praiseworthy or beautiful. But what does it look like? as David represents for us in Psalm 42, to feel it, feel the pain, all the way through to the lovely. First, we have to feel it all the way through, and we can do that in a few really distinct ways. First, we have to identify what it is that we're longing for, and that requires us to be honest. Number one, that there is this gap or this thing that we feel like we're missing out on. We have to sit and evaluate, what is it that I feel like I don't have? that I'm waiting on God to fulfill this promise to me. I'm waiting on God to come through in this way. David, in verses 1 through 3, he says, I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, where is your God? He identifies exactly what it is that he's longing for. He's longing to be back in the presence of God. Now there can be layers to our longing. There might be something on the surface, like we're waiting on a job offer or we're waiting on the date. But below that, there's often something deeper, something that maybe we start out at this secular surface level longing, which is very real and legit, but below it is pointing to this spiritual need. If you were with us at the beginning of the summer, Caleb started out our series on the promises of God in Psalm 37 with a beautiful sermon that reminded us that God is the ultimate desire of our heart, that at the depth of all of our longing, we're all longing for God. And so when we're identifying what we're longing for, I would be willing to bet that if we trace it all the way back, we're going to find ourselves like David, where we're really just longing for God. And in a sense, we feel like we're waiting on God to show up in the way that he says that he will. Let me also remind us of this, that God also makes space for us to identify our longing. In Psalm 34, which was also written by David, God says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. David is crushed in spirit, for sure, as he writes Psalm 42. And so first he acknowledges that he has this longing for God. And then secondly, we have to invite God into our longing and waiting. Imagine yourself as a five-year-old. Maybe you had pigtails 
or maybe you wore some really cool dinosaur shoes. And then pretend that you lived in a cul-de-sac. Maybe you don't have to pretend that you lived in a cul-de-sac because maybe you really did. And you're out riding your bike in your cul-de-sac and your parents are sitting in the driveway in their lawn chairs watching you. And you have a bike wreck. And you scrape your elbow and as a little kid does, you cover up your elbow, and as a parent does, your dad comes flying out of his lawn chair to meet you in the middle of the cul-de-sac, and he scoops you up into his arms, and he says, what happened? Let me see what hurts, okay? And then also, as a kid does, you won't take your hand away from the injury, right? Because if you take your hand away, it's gonna sting more, and dad might wanna pick the rocks out of it, and it, it could hurt more for a minute, but, as adults, we now know that your dad needed to see the injury. He needed to see how bad the injury was so that he could start to apply the care that the injury needs. It's important that we invite God into our pain, that we take our hand away from the injury so that God can begin to apply the healing. He's a good father. And so just like our earthly father would do in the middle of the cul-de-sac at five years old, our good heavenly father, we have to remove our hand away from the pain and allow him to see that. Look again at verse two. David is asking to come before and meet with God. He wants to bring all of his pain into the presence of God so that God can begin to care for it. So we first identify what we're longing for, and then we invite God into that longing. And then third, we impatiently wait for God. I need to be clear on this one though. It's important to make space for our pain and for our longing, but it's also important that it doesn't take supremacy in our lives. David is certainly thirsting for God and he's wanting to come before God and he's wanting to find relief from his pain. Think of like a deer out in the wilderness and its normal stream has dried up and it's looking for water to sustain and keep its life going. The deer is going to make everything about its day about finding that water. And we know that God is our living water, that he satisfies our thirst. And so just like a deer would make every single effort until it found the water it needed, we can do the same thing in developing this impatience of looking for God in our longing. Charles Spurgeon, when he wrote about Psalm 42, he said, the next best thing to living in light of the Lord's love, or in other words, to having our desires fully met, is to be unhappy till we have it and to pant hourly after it. So David sets up what it looks like for us to feel the pain all the way through, that we first have to acknowledge the feelings that come with it, and then we invite God into that pain, and then we develop an impatience of longing and looking for God. And so then secondly, David, so he's feeling the pain all the way through, and then he looks for lovely because there's encouragement to be found in the midst of that pain. At your tables, I want you to talk about what encourages you on hard days. Maybe it's a good cup of coffee or a nap or a text from a friend. But before we talk about what David, where he found his encouragement, I want to hear what encourages you. So talk at your tables and then we'll share in just a couple minutes. There's a lot of things we can do on hard days, and it's a good thing that there's a lot of things to do that are encouraging because, let's be honest, there's a lot of hard days in life. And for David, he's right in the middle of this hard season of life. But David finds some encouragement in his waiting. He found the lovely. And we're going to talk about how he found the lovely in three main ways. First, we can find the lovely in the gift of mourning. This feels a little bit like 
a sentence that should not make sense. But think about it. We don't mourn for things that we don't love. You don't mourn the loss of someone that you've never met and don't love. You don't mourn the loss of a job that you didn't love. You don't mourn the loss of a friend moving across the country who you didn't love. The very fact that we're sad about losing something or not having something yet points to some kind of gift in that thing in the first place. Look with me at verse 4. David's reflecting back on his time when he was in Jerusalem, and he recalls that he walked with others, that he led the festive procession with joyful and thankful shouts. Right in the middle of his longing and his waiting, he's remembering the sweet gift that he is mourning for. And even if the thing that you're thinking of tonight that's on your mind is not something that you've had in the past, it's something you're waiting on in the future, the reason that it's painful to be waiting and longing for it is because there's some kind of good or pleasure that you perceive in that very thing. It's okay to both acknowledge that there is pain in the waiting and the longing, and to also look for the lovely and find encouragement. We can hold both things. It's not an either or to have joy or sadness. We can have both at the same time. So first of all, we can find the lovely in the gift that is mourning. Second, we can find the lovely in our access to God. David talks about his access to God. He says that God will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. It's an all-day thing for David, this constant prayer because of his access to God. When we're waiting, when we're questioning where God is at as we walk around the world in sorrow and oppression or pain, we wait with confidence because of our access to God that cannot be removed. God is near to the brokenhearted, and he is near to you in your pain, even if the tangible evidence of his presence has been taken away. The access has not been. David cannot see the temple and the Ark of the Covenant from way out at Mount Mizar that he talks about. But sometimes we also can't see this tangible evidence of God's presence. But we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us if we call ourselves believers. And Paul, in the book of Romans, he says there's no height nor depth nor any other created thing that can separate us from the love of God. We can praise God for that, right? Because we'll never be left alone in our pain. If our only source of relief in the middle of the cul-de-sac after our bike wreck is ourself, at five years old, we did not know anything about getting the Neosporin out and washing out the wound and taking care of it, but our parent did. And the same thing applies in our spiritual lives and the painful waiting that we have as adults. If our only source of relief was ourselves, can we just be honest? Like, that would be the worst kind of relief ever. But God is, a, is the perfect heavenly healer, and he knows exactly what we need, and we have 24-7, 365 access to God, and we can find the lovely in that. I think Spurgeon said it really well here, too. He said, a loss of the present sense of God's love is not a loss of the love itself. Your access to God remains. So we find the lovely in the gift of mourning, in our access to God, and third, we can find the lovely in God's sovereignty over the waves. If you've read much of the Bible, you may have read in Mark 4 when Jesus speaks the seas into calmness. 
Even the stormiest seas are not too powerful for God. Our hope in the midst of our own storms is that God is powerful than them, more powerful than them as well. He just speaks and the sea is calm. Even when the storm is still raging, God is mightier than the mightiest storm. He knew that thousands of years ago, David needed to write this psalm and many others to encourage us today in our own moments of pain. God's not surprised by your pain and your longing and your waiting, and he's not working on the solution right now trying to figure out what that solution might be. The truth of God's prevailing promises does not waver when the billows of the storm roll. David compares his waiting to a storm. Look at verse 7. He says, Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and billows have swept over me. That sounds terrifying and painful and not like something that I would choose, and I bet that David would not choose it again for himself either. But David's very next words acknowledge that God is faithful to love, that he's accessible at all times, and that he's sovereign over even the stormiest waves. God is our lifeline in the midst of our storms. And so David has set up this pattern for us that we have permission to feel the pain all the way through, but there is lovely to be found. We can feel it all the way through to the lovely. And so how do we practically do this? This is something that I have not figured all the way out in my own life. I could give you a lot of examples of things that feel really painful that I would like to see more lovely in them because they feel more painful on some days. Here's just one example that I'll share with you. Um, two weeks ago today, my stepdad was in a mowing accident here at the church and has some pretty severe injuries to his right hand. We've spent much of the last two weeks with him in the hospital navigating care. Um, the team at KU has done an amazing job. This is part of my family. This is my mom and stepdad, my stepsister, brother-in-law, and my brother and I. And the team at KU, they've just been amazing. They've treated an infection. They saved more of his hand than we expected to have. Um, but there have been days that have been really overwhelming. I could look through my Bible all day long, and I'm not going to find a verse where God has said, Cassidy, here is why your family is going through this specific trial. But do you know what's helped me the most? It's the fact that I outlined this message this the day before the accident happened, and here God is taking me through the exact thing that I needed to hear and learn in my own life. No doubt Rick's pain is greater than my own, but there have been a lot of tears. I've cried on his behalf. I have cried because of the, the toll it's taken in my own life, but I also can't tell Rick's story without telling you the lovely truth of it without telling you about a lovely man named Dylan who just happened to be sitting in our parking lot when the accident happened and literally saved Rick from bleeding out. I can't tell you Rick's story without telling you about the lovely community that has surrounded my family and blown us out of the water with their support of us lately. I can't tell you his story without pointing out the lovely gift of worship and my Bible that has reminded me of truth in the middle of this. The lovely gift that trusting God is sovereign over the waves has carried us through in this. Some days I spend more time feeling the waiting on God to show us what he's up to, and some days I feel more of the lovely, but neither of them are less true than the other. We can feel it all the way through to the lovely. We can have both, and we can start back over at feeling it all the way through as often 
as we need to. And so David, in this passage, he shows us a few practical ways to live out this pattern. First of all, we can surround ourselves with community. Before my mom and I ever left the church parking lot to go meet Rick at the hospital, I texted some of my close friends who I knew would be faithful in praying for us through the highs and the lows that have followed, and they have surely done that for us. That's what community is good for, and there's a lot of talk about this in our Bibles. In Romans 12:15, um, we're reminded to mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, and God has certainly comforted us through our community. It's our community that can pick us up off the ground and remind us of the lovely truths. And that goes both ways. Maybe tonight you're the person that needs community, and that's okay. You need to come to a community group and share what's on your heart and find this community of believers who want to hold you up. Or maybe you're the person who needs to offer community and offer a listening ear and some support to someone. But we can find lovely in that community that we surround ourselves with. Second, we set our minds on the promises of God. We remember the truth that is unchanging and we dwell on it. Philippians 4.8 reminds us, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Whatever it is that we're making space for to dwell on in our brain is the thing that's going to take the front row seat. If we are only making space for the disappointment and the pain, we're going to feel pretty downcast. We're going to feel like we're walking about in sorrow. But on the flip side, if we only ever make space for the lovely and the good and we never address the pain, the root of the problem, it's like treating a symptom but not treating the disease that's behind it. And so we can dwell on the true promises of God that both give space to our pain and treat it even before we see those things come to fruition. And so without, I told you I'm not going to ask you to share what's on your heart tonight, so you're going to, you can keep this as general as you'd like, but we can practice this right now. Around your tables, let's talk about some promises of God, some truths about God that have been an encouragement to you at some point in your life. You don't even have to tell us at what point in your life they were encouraging, but what are some promises and truths about God that have been an encouragement to you? Ready, go. It's okay when we're feeling the pain to make space for that pain, but remember, we're not going to make supremacy for it. And so when all you're feeling is the pain, I just encourage you to stop and jot down the goodness of God that you're seeing that day. Maybe it's literally just that the sun is not behind a cloud, or maybe it's that you got to sleep in an extra 10 minutes, or maybe there's something really big that you can point to, like someone saving someone else's life. But what I do know is that God does not run away from us. He doesn't take a step back and hide from you so that you can't see his goodness. He's there, and he's revealing himself to you. And if we'll ask him to help open up our eyes to see that, he is faithful to show us where he's at work all around us. So we can surround ourselves with community and dwell on the promises of God. And third, we sing, even if we have a bad voice or we think we have a bad voice. We can still praise God. We can still give him glory for the ways that he is showing up and for the truths that we know about him. And we can do this inwardly in our own time with the Lord in prayer. And we can do it outwardly when we're talking with other people. I could go around telling Rick's story and only tell you about the really hard things of the last couple weeks. 
Or I could go around and only tell you the good things, but neither of those give service to all that God has done because by sharing with you that Rick almost lost his life, then when I also tell you that God saved his life, it makes that goodness just so much sweeter. I can acknowledge that the process is hard, but I can also finish my day by writing out the praises of God and singing those with my people and in my own time, in my car where no one else can hear me. All of those things help and they change my whole demeanor. We can practically live out David's example three ways. We can surround ourselves with community, we can dwell in the promises of God, and we can sing his praises. Now, there might be someone here tonight who legitimately cannot wait with this sense of hope and encouragement because it is dependent on the gospel at work in our lives. God is a promise keeper. That's true regardless of what you think about God. He demonstrated that because he went to the fullest extent of promise keeping by sending his one and only son to die on the cross so that he could fulfill his promise to bring salvation. If God would not even withhold his son from the cross in an effort to fulfill his promises, what would he not do to fulfill his promises to you? If you've never surrendered your life to God and allowed his Holy Spirit to take up residence in you, you would be absolutely fair to think that it's impossible to wait with any source of encouragement or hope in your longing. Maybe you can find a temporary hope or encouragement, but it's like pulling water up out of a well and then the well runs dry. Without God, the well runs dry, but God is our living hope. He's a well that never runs dry. He is our living water, our living God who satisfies our thirst like the streams that satisfy the thirst of a deer in the wilderness. And let me remind us of something else that Benji also reminded us of. God promises that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Revelation 21 says this, death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because when God fulfills this promise in the new heavens and the new earth, all this previous brokenness that we can feel around us today will have passed away. It will be the presence of God, the God of our life and salvation, like David pointed out in Psalm 42, that will wipe away every tear from our eyes. We're waiting on God to come through on his promises. We're hoping to see him come through on his promises, but we know that God will come through on his promises because he's eternal and he's already fulfilled them in eternity. He is outside of our moments of pain. He's outside of this time that we're locked into right now, and he's already come through on his promises, and we know we'll see him come through if we allow him to be the Lord of our life and accept his free gift of salvation. You don't have to look far. I've asked us to be brave and think of something really hard in our lives, and so you just have to look across your table, and there's brokenness in the world. It's not hard to see, and brokenness is the result of our sin, of the things that we think, that we say, that we do, that dishonor God and create this gap between us and God. But God made a way for us to bridge that gap and it's offered to us in salvation through the blood of Jesus who hung on the cross and paid the punishment for our sins and then rose from the dead three days later, defeated the power of death, and now he offers you forgiveness and eternity where we know that God's promises, every single one of them, is fulfilled. It's a gift of eternal life 
that allows you to have this hope that we've talked about, this lovely hope. It's a gift that will surely change everything about your life. It's the gift that ensures your access to God. And it's a gift that God has already outstretched his hand to offer you, and he's just saying, will you accept it? And then you get to decide that. Is it a currently unfulfilled promise in your life that has kept you from surrendering to God? If you surrender your life to him, you will find that all of his promises are already fulfilled. Have you already surrendered your life to God, and yet you still find yourself feeling like you're waiting on God to come through on his promises? If you'll look around you, you'll see the ways that God is doing that, that he is being the promise keeper that he is. At the bottom of your longing, at the spiritual need that you're waiting on God to come through on, it's all met fully, completely, perfectly, beautifully in the person and work of Jesus. All throughout scripture, we see the story of already, but not yet. We have this already promised Messiah, but he hasn't come yet. We already know that Jesus is going to come back, but he has not done that yet. And in the midst of all that, all throughout the Bible, God's people still praise. As you wait today on God to come through on the promises, and while you feel like he has not fulfilled his promises, you can still praise. And your community can praise with you and they can remind you of these truths and you can still sing and remember that God is a promise keeper. In the waiting, God is already, but not yet, being the promise keeper that he is. God has fulfilled all of his promises in eternity already, but in the not yet of the waiting that you're feeling today or that you'll feel at some other time in your life for certain. He is a promise keeper, and we can still praise. So that's how we're going to wrap up tonight. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll wrap up with another song. God, thank you so much for being a promise keeper, that in the already of the pain that we feel, and in the not yet of you coming through to us in in the way that we can see it on those promises, we know that you are still good, and we're thankful for the lovely that you offer to us, the encouragement that you offer to us. And so tonight, whatever situations are on the hearts and minds of the people in this room and the people who might hear from a friend about tonight, would you just gently remind us of the truths of who you are and the goodness that you offer to us. Encourage our souls and our spirits so that we, like David, can say that we will still praise you, our Savior, and our God. We thank you for the gospel that makes this hope possible for us, and we just ask that you would help us to live it out always, that when we are feeling it all the way through, you would show up and show us the lovely, that we would make space for the pain, acknowledge that it is valid, but that we would fight with all that we have to find the lovely that you have placed around us. Thank you for our time together tonight and for your word that encourages us. It's in your name I pray. Amen.